Welcome to the Big Screen Symposium podcast. This session is from the Big Screen Symposium held in Auckland on the 9th and 10th of July 2022. Film clips played at the live event have been edited out of the podcast. In this session, New Zealand On Air gives an update on what they've been working on since December 2020 and where to from here. Chief Executive Cameron Harland and Head of Funding Amy Mills take us through topics such as innovative data framework for pan-sector audience measurement, new frontiers in children's content, the success of collaborations including Te Puna Kairangi and the co-fund with Te Mangai Paho, some insights on what opportunities changes to SPIG might bring, proposed updates to funding policies in the wake of the NZMF review and the win-win of bringing together New Zealand music and local screen content. Tēnā tātou katoa, uh, ki nā mana whenua, tēnā koutou, ki nā rangatira, tēnā koutou. Uh, ko Cam Harlan tōku inua. I am the CEO of New Zealand On Air. I'm joined by the lovely Amy Mills, Head of Funding. Woohoo, exactly. Um, we're going to try and keep this relatively, you might have already sort of sensed that, reasonably informal um, this morning. Um, it's Sunday morning. I think we're between lunch. So, uh, yeah, the idea is that we actually have quite a lot to cover and we do have a little bit of death by PowerPoint, so I apologise for that. We apologise for that. Um, but we are really hoping to get through it in reasonable time to allow for some questions, um, just conscious that we sort of turn up to these things and just assume that we're going to cover the things that you want to hear, and sometimes that's not the case. So um, with that in mind, um, we're going to try and crack through. Um, but first we're going to play a little show reel. We all know the old stories. The old story. Uh, yeah, we applaud you. You guys are awesome. We didn't make any of that stuff. You guys did. We just have a bit of money to help. So, um, yeah, gets me every time, that reel. I know. Thanks, Sophie. Thanks, Sophie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what I thought I would do just to start, uh, first sort of five or ten minutes, is, is really just give a really basic overview of what we are. I think it's kind of important. A lot of the questions we had yesterday, a lot of the questions we get on a, on a really regular basis are things like, how do we access your money? You know, what are you looking for? Um, and I think just to set some context about how it is that we've been, you know, created and formed and what we're about is, is probably quite useful. So um, our purpose is to fund public media content that reflects and develops New Zealand identity and culture, which in turn builds social cohesion, inclusion and connection. Um, our co-papa is listed up, up here as to do good for our home, to serve New Zealanders and to whakamana our stories. Content, news to be created, found, watched, listened, learned for, from and loved is, is really, really important. Um, we've been doing this since 1989 uh, and our mandate is enshrined in the Broadcasting Act. To engage in the funding that we do, um, we use a strategic framework called the New Zealand Media Fund. It's got three key aims. New Zealand public media valued and enjoyed by New, Zealand, New Zealanders, and we've got three core threads that we weave. Quality content, diverse content, and discoverable content. And that's going to be sort of the theme for the session. Um, Amy and I are going to sort of tag team a bit through what that means. So, yeah, we've, sh we've shaped our presentation around that. Um, as I say, diverse, quality, and discoverable content. The breadth of contact that we fund is pretty significant. Uh, obviously, you saw on the reel. Um, here's some other examples up on screen. Our funding spans music, 
um, access and student Pacific Radio children's content obs uh, observational documentaries, uh, spoken word radio podcasts, interactive news, current affairs, um, comedy, uh, and media accessibility services. Um, I want to come back to uh, the Broadcasting Act because it sort of is our puanga, and Section 36 in particular is, is really kind of what we're about. And that is really, really specific, and it requires us to promote programs about New Zealand and New Zealand interests, to promote Māori language and culture, and it requires us to provide for the interests of women, youth, children, persons with disabilities, and minorities, including ethnic and religious minorities. So, again, when people come and ask us what it is that we're looking for, what are we trying to fund, Section 36, it sounds boring referencing an act, I need to acknowledge that, but it really is kind of, that's what we've been, that's, they are our writing instructions. That's sort of what um, tells us what to do, really. Um, the other, I guess, important point to make is that every year we receive a letter of expectation from our minister, uh, and that sets out specific expectations that he has of us as well. So um, if I think about the letter that we received this year, um, he's asked us to continue to support the production of diverse local content and boosting reach to underserved audiences, including Māori, Pacific, regional, children and young audiences. He's asked us to consider different delivery platforms to reach new and different audiences as well as supporting diversity of content, voices and media plurality. And he's asked us to support officials on the strong public media program, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, so a lot of writing instructions. Funding snapshot. I'm going to try and hurry up a little bit. No, no, slow it down. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got four key funding streams within the NZMF. So we've got platforms, we've got music, we've got scripted, and we've got factual. Platforms is a closed stream. Um, it basically covers uh, operational funding for RNZ, for a number of access and student radio stations, captioning via ABLE, and New Zealand on screen and audio culture. The music stream is actually a relatively small budget, as you can see there, um, but it really does punch above its weight and is a really, really important part of our mahi. Um, and we'll touch a little bit on that later as well. Um, and then in the screen space, broadly speaking, we've got about 80 million bucks to spend in a contested way on screen content, and we split that 40 million scripted and 40 million factual. The current public interest journalism fund actually brings our factual spend up to about 60. Um, but obviously, as most of you may know, that's time-bound, so that ends at the end of next year, so that'll sort of leave the pot again. Other than the PIJF and some other additional COVID-related funds, our baseline has remained pretty static over time, uh, and this is despite a significant increase in applications seeking funding. Um, just by way of a little example, um, in our current funding round, which was... Um, concluded on Wednesday, we received 135 applications seeking a total of 77 million from a round that had 30 million allocated to it. Since the launch of the NZMF in 2017, we've received just under 2,000 applications and funded around 650. It's about 34% success rate, which is gutting, to be honest, because there's certainly a lot more applications that we would want to fund but for access to the money. Um, the slide here sort of shows you how significantly the demand for funding has been outstripping our ability to meet it. Obviously, the blue line shows you the trend over 10 years of growing funding requests, and the relatively static green line is our, uh, the number of projects we've been able to fund. Looking ahead, we don't actually see this trend changing. In fact, 
uh, for various reasons, we're seeing increased production budgets, and I, I think a number of uh, some of the sessions this week have been touched this weekend have been touching on that, uh, and I know we're seeing that in a very real way yeah, in the budget. The board. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and obviously, the Screen Workers Bill is, is another example of, of um, additional kind of costs that are going to, perhaps rightly so, come on come into budgets. Along with you all, we have been doing quite a lot over the last three years, and obviously dealing with COVID as well. As I said before, we're going to try and focus on these three core areas of diversity, quality and discoverability. But I just thought it was worth touching on a couple of those bigger things that are listed up here. Um, not all of them, but just acknowledging that there are a lot of changes going on. Uh, and I think it's important while we have a forum like this, just to kind of give you a little bit of an overview of our perspective on some of these. So the first one is Aotearoa New Zealand Public Media. We can't really do a presentation here without talking about that. Um, it, it is um, a pretty significant change that's coming to, to the landscape. Most of you uh, may be aware of this. It's, um, it's been kind of called the merger uh, of RNZ TVNZ. We keep on being told that it's actually not a merger. Um, it is a new entity, a completely new entity that will have its own act and will have a, a charter and will be um, absolutely focused on delivering public media outcomes for the audiences um, that, that they need to. So some facts that we do know, uh, legislation is working its way through the House. We know the entity will be semi-commercial. We know that 50% of its total budget is going to be funded by the government. And it will have wide objectives to deliver content to various audiences, including children, youth, Māori, Pacifica, Pan-Asian. It has an establishment board and is working on the operational details of what the entity will do. In many ways, its legislation looks very similar to our Section 36. So it, it is a significant commissioner for um, public media going forward. The specific impacts on New Zealand on air and on the production sector are still being worked through. I think there's some important safeguards for you all. So um, the entity is going to be directly funded to commission its own content. So um, there is obviously a, a new door, if you like, to go through to access funding. On that basis, there is likely to be a level of constraint on its access to our funding, but there is an expectation that there will be a, a, a strong degree of collaboration between the two of us. The other thing I think that has been noted in the Cabinet paper and will flow through is that there is an expectation that it protects the ecosystem. So it doesn't take on board a whole bunch of production activities itself. It needs to continue to support the independent production sector, which I would imagine is pretty important in this room and is certainly important to us. I think the outtake for us is it's really clear there's a real commitment from this government to public media and the need to deliver content to all audiences, including the increasingly hard to reach. They're also clear, as I said, that the independent sector will be fundamental to the delivery of that content. What is less clear is how this will work in practice and the impacts this might have on the wider production sector, you all, and our key platform of music stakeholders as well. We are looking at undertaking a little bit of work. So Amy and um, T, our new head of um, music, Teresa Patterson, uh, and Hal Crawford are looking at engaging in a piece of work that just uh, hopefully includes some of you in, in here, mm -hmm. uh, trying to understand what your 
concerns and also hopefully the opportunities that you believe might come out of this shake-up. Yeah. So um, that's something that we are moving forward with quite quickly. And we've got a great question in, because I figure actually as questions come in, if we can tackle them while we're talking about things, it would be really great. Yeah. So yeah, bring them at us. But this one is actually specifically about the PME asking if we weren't going to cover it, could we talk about what the relationship would look like? And I was just going to add to what Cam had said that I think we do keep talking about what the future landscape looks like globally. I think it's quite unique that we will have a market where you will have a public service broadcaster in action again, and you'll have this, you know, 30-year-old contestable funding agency operating in the same space. And actually, if that's growing the pot and growing the outcomes of public media for audiences, that's quite a remarkable thing. So the frame of reference we're kind of taking into our conversations with MCH and with the establishment board is to kind of identify children's as a big one. We keep talking about we should be growing the pot for children's funding. So how does that look in the in the world where there's a new PME? We're going to talk quite a lot about data, not in a boring way, hopefully, further on in the session. But that's another key one that we're saying to MCH is we, we feel like we're on the precipice of launching quite a groundbreaking uh, measurement tool around public media content and how audiences are engaging with it. And that has to be able to plug into the new PME. So we're really just trying to figure out where do we avoid crossover and where do we strengthen everything that we're doing and kind of grow it. So thanks for that question. And, and look, so I guess it is, it's really important for us to acknowledge we do know that there's uncertainty and we did meet with the chair of the transition board on Wednesday with, with, our, with our, our board. And I think that was a key, a really key conversation that we had with them was, look, you, you, you need to be thinking, obviously they've got a lot of work to do in terms of structure, so getting the entity set up and staff and all of those things, but, you know, we're, we're living in a continuum where we want to continue to kind of commission content and make that, that, that work. So that was the one thing we left with them was please be open to talking to the sector and understanding what their concerns might be because, of course, in a vacuum, things get quiet quite difficult. So um, we're feeling really positive about it, yeah. um, but we do acknowledge there's a level of uncertainty as well. Another thing that we're feeling really positive about is Tapuna Kairangi, and uh, for those of you that were here yesterday and heard the Film Commission's presentation, obviously they touched on a huge amount of the sort of the, the success of that fund. So I'm not going to um, sort of necessarily replicate what they talked about. What I would say though is that for us it feels like it was a real game changer. A focus on local IP being developed for the world, 50 million going in from the government which came out of the international SPIG, which um, sort of ironically, it, it came out at a time when it was assumed that a whole bunch of international productions wouldn't be coming into the country. And of course, um, again, if you listen to the Film Commission yesterday and Philippa talking about how many international productions we did have. So it was sort of um, a bit of a win-win for the sector, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the, other, the other thing for us is that the level of co collaboration that happened between us, the Film Commission, and Tamangai Pahu was really significant. And we'll talk a little, I think Amy's going to talk yeah. a little bit more about Larry and I kind of have a bit of a love fest going on, yeah. to be honest. I think the definition <laughs> so, is bromance. Yeah. Bromance, yeah, yeah. So we, we're doing a lot with them and it's just, it's a really, it's a great relationship. But I think the fact that we had the three agencies, we had the money in the middle, we, we had SPIG, and we also were able to use our baseline funds as well, meant that we could really supercharge a bunch of those productions. So the results so far um, is, is up there. So we had um, 59 applications that were eligible. Um, we production funded 16. 95 
eligible applications for development, of which we were able to support 26. Um, and I think um, this was touched on yesterday. So 50 million in the pot. There was another 51 that came into those productions through SPIG and another 50 million from international. So that 50 turned into over 150 in investment into screen content, which is... Pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. So um, we're, we're, we're actually somehow, and I don't know how, but we're really keen to see this continue. We'd love for another pot of money to come in. So maybe you can help. Um, but, but certainly the settings by which the agencies came together, sat around a table, were able to put their own funds in, SPIG as well, and really supercharge those budgets, I think is, is something that we're really, yeah. we're really, really keen to advocate for. And, and the adaption of it, because those of you who might remember when it was first announced, it was being talked more about kind of three big productions at 50 million. And actually when we got down to it and we looked at like, where are the projects at? Where's, where's the kind of capacity and skills? It was like the, the reality that actually that money should be stretched and actually accessing SPIG and changing those settings to end up with the volume that's come through is actually really, I think, really exciting. And it was a shift from where it started. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and look, it's a, probably a segue into the, the last little bit that I'll um, touch on just in terms of kind of background before um, I um, throw over to Amy to start talking about that diverse strand. Um, the Film Commission again talked um, at length yesterday about the New Zealand Screen Production Grant Review um, or the Government Review of Investment into Screen. Um, I haven't yet been able to read the Oldsburg report, but I'm really looking forward to reading it. I think we are, you know, we're definitely in a position, having had a number of conversations over the last sort of 24 hours, um, we have to, as a sector, really, really think about how we can advocate on behalf of this. This is, this is a really, really important part of, of the, the sector, full stop. Um, so, you know, the starting point is please, please, please don't really do too much at all, like keep it and, and keep it at the level that it is. If we could get some more beneficial changes, then I think that would be good. We are a bit worried that um, some of the assumptions in the Cabinet paper feel a little strange, so we sort of touch on the fact that expenditure seems to be exaggerated in terms of what they think this big might end up costing government. What does for us, and I have to kind of put up my hand and say we are definitely not the experts in SPIG, so this is really a Film Commission world because they administer it, but um, it does seem to us that the domestic SPIG could be used more. The feedback that we've had from the sector is that there is huge support for SPIG, and in particular domestic SPIG. It is still not as effective as it possibly could be because the gap is still really large, so you still have to find international money at quite a high degree to be able to access SPIG as well. But I think the other idea is that it could, it could and should be applied alongside our funding. At the moment, that is not the case unless you are a children's producer or an animation producer. So um, for some strange reason, and I'm not sure why, they are excluded, as, as in you can access our funds and SPIG funding for those projects. So I think there is a view from the sector that it would be good to expand that out. Um, and we're quite keen to advocate on that behalf. Uh, the other feedback that we got from the sector is that there should be more of an overarching screen strategy, um, but it sounds like that's been taken care Horrocks of. I think Horrocks is in the room, yep. so yep. excellent. <laughs> yeah, so that's sort of it from me, just in terms of kind of the sort of state of the nation, if you like, and I'm going to throw to Amy. Thanks, Cam. Tēnā rā tātou katoa, ko Amy Mills takuengoa. Ko ahau te tumuaki o Ngātake Pūtia ki irirangi te motu. Um, I'm Amy Mills and I am the Head of Funding at New Zealand On Air. 
first, I just wanted to say a huge mihi to Jackie and Eloise and the whole Script to Screen crew because um, you've once again brought us together and it's incredibly generative and you make it look easy and I'm sure it's anything but. So thank you so much. I think we all needed it. I certainly really needed it. So being in the room again is, yeah, very grateful. As Cam mentioned, so I wanted to dive into talking about um, diversity, which I know is a very used term, and, and we are talking about diversity in terms of the broadest meaning of that. So the goal under the New Zealand Media Fund strategy talks about New Zealand audiences valuing local content that's made both by and for um, a range of communities. And, you know, it is, as Cam said, it's the, it's the beating heart of what we do. Um, underneath that, Po, what, what I wanted to talk about today was kind of two key areas, um, both in terms of partnerships, how we get there, and also industry development, because I think most of you who are kind of aware of our work will know that the um, investment in capacity building and skills development is becoming a larger piece of our remit in what we do. And I think what we've come to realise, particularly across the last couple of years, is it's not enough for us to just wave the flag as the funding body saying, we want to see this because ultimately we can only fund what's brought to us and there's a slight sort of, there's a passive element to that. So we're actually trying to engage far more with the sector to understand where are the gaps, where are the barriers and where can we support that kind of scaffolding for creators coming through and ensuring there's a great diversity of um, not just voices but content formats and, and where that content is found. So to speak to partnership first, so over the past few years, um, this has been one of the kind of deepest um, partnerships that I think we've developed. It's certainly, as Cam mentioned, it's, it's a really special partnership, but we also talk a lot about it can't just be reliant on some really strong kind of individual relationships with key players across um, agencies. When you can see that something's working, which I think it is demonstrably, then we've actually got to figure out ways to bed that in more formally and actually make that a regular happening. And I think speaking to the co-fund, that's something that we're seeing that's a real testament to that. So we're in our third year of the co-fund and the pot has grown since where we started. And so this year, again, we're both putting four million into the pot um, for a total of eight million. And this is to support projects that actually meet our dual remits. So in the case of Tamangai Paho, that is around language revitalisation. In terms of NZ On Air, that's around promoting Māori language and culture. And we've seen, you know, really brilliant projects come through that, you know, match fit, we've got Origins 2 upcoming, Ake Ake Ake. So there's a real richness of content flowing through that, um, that fund. Uh, and I spoke to Larry and Blake, so this is not, we haven't put official comms out about the 2022 co-fund yet, but they were happy for me to flag that this year we have seen that we're going to have a really clear focus on scripted content. And the reason for that is that we've done some analysis of funding trends over the past few years. It probably won't surprise anyone in the audience that this has been a massively historically underfunded area in terms of the Māori screen space. Uh, and the timing of it is perfect because, as Cam mentioned, under Tapuna Kairangi, so Ara Kitapuna Kairangi was the development um, strand, and we've seen a really exciting raft of um, scripted projects coming through that um, for Māori production companies. So it's a really great time to then look at the opportunities for focusing on production funding. So 
outside of um, the co-fund and Punakairangi, just a huge mihi to Larry and Blake and the whole TMP team because they've worked with us on almost everything recently. They um, helped us co-design and deliver the Public Interest Journalism Fund. They've been instrumental in supporting us around the children's strategy development. So they're doing a lot of extra mahi um, in support of that partnership piece and what that looks like. Uh, and of course, there's the Māori media shift to come and this new public media entity. So we can sort of see the space, I think, for developing some key strategic objectives that flow across both agencies that we're all working towards that can make sense rather than the more siloed approach we've probably had in the past. And children's, again, is a really interesting area for this where we're hoping to work with ABLE to have all of the children's content um, have Te Reo Māori subtitling, which I think historically would have been like, well, that's TMP's remit, not NZ on Airs. But actually, when we can see that we're all trying to achieve the same goals, it just it makes you know infinite sense. The other partnership I wanted to mention is the one with the Pan-Asian Screen Collective. And for those that were there on Friday night, getting to see Shuchi um, receive the recognition she very much deserves as one of the founding members of PASC. This has been a really, again, a really generative um, partnership. And, you know, it was born out of understanding we were looking at our diversity report data and realising that there is significant under-representation of Pan-Asian creators across the board, behind and in front of the camera. And we're still a really long way to go, but we've been working very hard to kind of figure out um, tactics at the kind of grassroots level of what are the barriers, how do we address them, and what does that look like? And there's two particular initiatives that we wanted to touch on, one being the year-long episode one initiative that's a scripted initiative, which takes six teams from kind of pitch through to pilot production. And that's something Shuchi and I talk a lot about was the uniqueness of this model being not just an industry development model, but having production attached so that content's actually made out of it as being something that I think pan sector, when we start to see what comes of that, I think that's going to be a really fantastic model that we'll definitely talk more about. And then also the Pan-Asian Factual RFP that we ran earlier last year. And that one, myself and Hippity, my colleague, we, we worked with PAS to be really specific in the guidelines about things such as, you know, IP sharing and ownership. How did teams come together? There were all these sort of the nuances, but they're quite important, and we were putting them front and centre in terms of submitting projects. I think, importantly, we were also looking at things like focusing on the creators and what stories do they want to tell. It doesn't have to be necessarily imbued and laden with representation. It's just the stories that they want to tell and just being really specific about that in the guidelines. And the other kind of critical piece was the platform engagement. So many of you know we have this three-legged stool model, which is as a producer, you'll have your story, you find your local platform, and then with that support, you can access the funding. And so quite often there are barriers that exist there, not just in terms of getting in the front door, getting in front of commissioners, that stuff's quite terrifying, but also actually just in terms of what the priorities of the platforms are. As Cam said, when we're funding 30%, hard calls are being made, it's a commercial marketplace, you know, there's lots of tensions in that. So I think that's the power of the tagged funding because what that meant was that money's there, it's going towards this, so you either want to be in or not, but this is the opportunity. And PASS ran a fantastic seminar where the platforms were then pitching, here's our audiences, this is what we're looking for, and the PASS membership were able to kind of go, yeah, I'm vibing with that one or that's where I want to put, take my project and it just it kind of shifted the whole power dynamic at play. So 
I think what we're seeing is kind of the forward momentum, there's still a ton of work to do, but we have also seen an increase in those, those diversity report stats, which is really heartening, and it'd be great to see, I think they're coming out in the next month or so, but to see what's happened in the last year as well, because we just want to see that trajectory continue. Just, just to add to that, I think that, that that is increasingly, I think, for us, and I'm, I've just clocked a couple of questions in here, and I don't want to sort of lose the flow too much, but they're quite similar in what they're asking, which is how are we going to engage with the PME with its own kind of commissioning? So I think kind of tapping into Amy's point around what our role might be, and of course we're still going to, you know, we're still going to be looking to kind of fund as much content as we can, but I think uplifting creators and, and thinking a little bit more about how we can set funds aside for this. We'll talk a little bit later about some of the challenges we have in, at the moment in our ability to do that just simply because of the constraints of our act. But I think that the, that example is a really good one and I can't see why on earth we wouldn't be doing more of that yeah. going forward. Yeah. So the Moana strategy, this one has been another, we're really, really grateful for this and we've just had a recent presentation from an amazing group of um, Pacifica practitioners who came and spoke to our board and this has been a piece of work again that we feel is very close to our heart and it's industry-led, so similar to the PASC piece, I think that realisation that we can't sit in the in the Gusney Street office in Wellington coming up with these policies, even running summits and trying to do it, it's actually if these things can be built up and out from, from the industry grassroots, that's where we want to be. So, that, so this was a piece of work where um, this wonderful group of practitioners have gone out to the sector, had a whole heap of conversations and built a kind of draft um, strategy that is touching on very similar things to what we saw in the PASC space. So the importance of shared IP and what that looks like, the clarity around um, partnership and creative agency of individual creatives and practitioners within projects, accountability that the funders and the platforms are aware of that and holding that to account. There's a whole, and then rigors in terms of assessment and sort of how particularly as NZ on Air, but as actually all the funders, how we can work more closely within a sort of strategic advisory capacity with the minor screen sector. So this is just early work that's beginning. There'll be further um, talanoa with the sector. We're hoping to work alongside WIFT and PISA to do a kind of series of um, sessions that start to look at bedding these practices in and what does it look like, and really critically, what does it look like cross-sector? You know, what does it look like in terms of also bringing in NZSC, Creative New Zealand, us into that space and having a broader, a broader conversation? And I'll hand back to you. Okay, I'll go quick. Right. Um, this, this area, um, I, I definitely, uh, and again, just conscious of the question, so I think we can sort of address them as we go, but I think this is definitely an area where we see our remit continuing forevermore. And when we talk about quality, uh, we're sort of talking about the idea of New Zealand audiences enjoying well-made local content. That sort of seems pretty obvious. Um, but in order for that to happen, we, see, we sort of see two key areas that we need to focus on and have done and will continue to. So one is our investment into re research and insights um, that can help shine a light on our sector from various angles. And the second is around acknowledging, and this is sort of tapping into what Amy's already been saying, investing in content development, especially in the scripted space, being a critical factor in the overall quality and audience success of the content. So. Just an example of some of the work that we do. Um, this is um, a little overview of our diversity report. Our view is in order to authentically serve our key audiences um, referenced at the start of this press, we need to continue to monitor the voices and talents that create and deliver the content to those audiences. So um, this is our annual diversity report. It's an increasingly important tool to measure 
representation behind the lens. It's in its sixth year, um, and it uh, monitors gender and ethnic diversity among key personnel of NZ on Air funded screen content, as well as the regional spread of, spread of production companies. We've actually got a new piece of research that we're hoping to release quite soon that looks at representation in front of the camera, uh, and will provide uh, monitoring of that progress over future years as well. So um, that whole idea of us being in a position to kind of take an agnostic view and just report on the trends that, that we're seeing, and hopefully, um, seeing improvements to, to some of those metrics. We do believe our research and insights are becoming the strongest aspect of our leadership capacity within the sector. Um, there are a number of key audience research projects, several of which have been running for many years, which are pretty fascinating. Where are the audiences is probably the one that's quoted the most often. In fact, I think it was even quoted as a, as a reason for creating the new PME. So um, it's, it's a really, really interesting piece of, of research. So it's our fault. <laughs> We take the credit. <laughs> um, this year's Where Are the Audiences, um, we're taking a deep dive into the hard-to-reach rangatahi audience. So we're doing quantitative research, um, but it's going to be accompanied by some qual work as well, which I think will be really interesting. And together, uh, we're hoping they'll provide some unique insights to guide our strategy. And obviously, that's your strategy. So it's, it's, uh, enabled, it will enable you to understand as creators and platforms um, where that audience is and what they're interested in. Um, last year, we also took a look at Chinese and Indian New Zealand media use and prior to that, children's media use. So we do a lot of research um, and I think that's going to continue to be a really important part of our mahi. On the other side of this is the whole idea of content development. In late 2020, we commissioned a small piece of analysis on scripted story development um, and that was desk research looking at international trends and then also looking at how it could be applied um, here locally. To be fair, I think it's a, it's, it's a really useful start. We probably haven't done enough with it, uh, excepting it was, it was completed in 2020. Thanks, Esther. But I think there's, there's a number of things that we need to kind of think about here. What, what it did talk about was things like enabling creative risk, empowering writers. Obviously, we've seen a number of um, amazing case studies of brilliant, successful writers and, and creators here over the weekend having a process that puts the needs of the story in the centre and obviously giving priority to development and that also means accepting that these things take time. Our funds have traditionally been really pretty low in this space. In recent times, I guess, we've had greater emphasis on the area. Um, the two million that we managed to get set aside, which was massively um, thanks to Larry and to Mangaipahu, to be honest, mm -hmm. within Te Punakairangi. Um, a drama development review and recent uh, initiatives funded for the New Zealand Writers Guild and Script to Screen are a couple of good examples. Yeah. The last thing I just wanted to talk about in this area is um, music sync licensing. So it's an area I've been really keen to kind of get our heads around since I started. So we've got, we're, we're a funding agency for contemporary New Zealand music and screen, and they've sort of sat sort of separate. And of course, they sort of have to, but there is a massive opportunity, I think, for us to try and bring them together as, as, as much as we can. Uh, I have to say, I thought the first session yesterday morning was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, f for anyone here that is involved in, in, in producing content, you, you know, the power of, of a soundtrack is, ma is massive, massive in, a, in, a, um, in the success of, you know, engagement with, with audiences. So we really see an opportunity to try and, and bring these two parts of our mahi together. So um, we've actually had Paul McClaney do a, a report for us, which is going to be published really soon. 
And in it, there are a whole bunch of recommendations, um, some of which will fall on us and some of which I think we need to kind of talk to others about. And I did have a really good conversation with um, some very passionate Soundies yesterday at lunch. But yeah, a, a number of those recommendations are, are really a, a, about encouraging more use of New Zealand music within screen production content. That also includes more sector education on the process, uh, on how to access more of that music, obviously education around budgets as well, um, tools to help forecast those budgets, um, input from experienced music supervisors, looking for options for more user-friendly New Zealand music search maybe so that it is actually easier for producers to find and access that, that music. But then ultimately, of course, um, some level of financial support um, to encourage the use of that music. So um, it, it really is something that's, um, that's on our list and I have to... Um, thank Amy and T for pulling together some really interesting potential tangible ideas around this that um, we hope might come alive soon. We've got to keep going, eh? We do. Sorry. We do. Go. I don't want to rush, but yes. Um, discoverability. So this is the last po. Um And this is, uh, in terms of the goal, this is talking about New Zealand audiences both finding and appreciating the local content that we fund. So that's got a couple of parts to it. Marketing and promotion, uh, distribution, talking a little bit about that concept of radical sharing and multi-platform distribution. And then the big one, which is which is data, which we really want to be able to give you a good steer on today. But in terms of marketing and promotion, it's something that, I mean, we talked a lot about this at our last um, big screen session. And it's something that the sector has been having a lot of conversations about for a long time now, which is what is NZ on Air's role in kind of producer-led marketing and promotion of content. Uh, it was a hell of a lot easier when there were when it was very heavily linear environment when we shifted in through the New Zealand Media Fund in 2017 um, and went from funding something like 18 platforms to 34. Suddenly we were talking about a whole kind of different ball game in terms of fragmentation and reaching audiences. So. As Cam noted, I think one of the things that's held us back going too far into this space is actually our act, which unlike the film commissions, this is not explicitly part of our remit. So historically for that reason, almost 100% of the funding has gone towards production. But increasingly, we're having conversations with the Ministry of Culture and Heritage that says in order to actually reach those audiences that we are mandated to, it's becoming increasingly difficult to do that and we need to be talking more about marketing and promotion. And we have sort of gently dipped the toe in the water um, in terms of youth and the Pan-Asian factual RFP I mentioned. So up on the slide there, this is the kind of the dipping of the toe in the water that has sort of said for projects coming into these targeted rounds, you can put a modicum of um, budget against those things and create the collateral that you need to do social boosted posts, etc. And that that is to be ancillary and complementary to what the platforms do, because this has been the purview of the supporting platforms, their remit to reach the audiences through promotion. Unfortunately, COVID's sort of done a number, so that a lot of those projects have not made their way out into the world yet, so we don't have a lot of insights to lean on about has it created a shift, what does that look like? But as soon as we do, that's the kind of stuff we'll feed back to the sector around what we found and what we saw. And multi-platform distribution, again, we are talking increasingly about radical sharing of content, but we always, we acknowledge there's a caveat there for projects with which it makes sense to do that. For projects which are arguably 100% 
uh, taxpayer funded, where non-exclusivity should apply, where it makes sense to do it. We are really trying to push this um, message and we've seen RNZ and Fakata Māori do it for quite a long time because of their public service remit, but increasingly TVNZ's in the space, so is Prime, it's been awesome seeing Tangata Pacifica and the numbers on Prime and the hui and seeing that this isn't about cannibalising audiences, this is about in incrementally growing them. So, and I think with the entrance of the public media entity, we're going to see even more of that. So it'll become, and things like stuff and spin-off, you know, it'll be really interesting to watch what happens there. And just to touch on the children's content strategy, because Cam and I often say it's like the canary in the coal mine. It's the thing that almost compounds and distills all of the challenges that we're facing um, in this space. And so the new strategy going into this financial year is about ensuring we've got kind of a broad... We're trying to get children's content in front of as many eyeballs as we can across a multitude of platforms. We want the other platforms outside of TVNZ to be incentivised to get into the kids' game where it makes sense for them to do that. So our strategy is building towards that because, again, with the new public media entity coming along, we want that to be a really thriving sector, not just one place in which children's content is found, but actually, you know, Prime and Sky, they've got a real mandate for children's. They've got an incredible outlet with Nickelodeon in this market. So how do we enable that growth to happen? And we're also piloting a, um, a new partnership with Contagion around marketing and promotion of children's content. So we're really hoping to start seeing some learnings from that that could flow into our wider strategy. And just to tackle data... Um, not in a boring way, though. No, not in a boring way. Yeah. What was great, this has been the hardest nut to crack and we've been tackling it for, like, so many years and what was wonderful was that the Public Interest Journalism Fund, which was post-COVID recovery funding from the government, 55 million across three years, gave us an opportunity to pilot a data measurement framework to see if we could make it work in lieu of trying to roll it out across our wider strategy. I won't spend too much time on this slide, but this was our problem around just when you're moving to that many digital platforms and they're measuring a view completely differently, there's no consistency of a pan-sector measurement of what a view looks like, there's inconsistent data coming in, there's changing data measurement tools so you can kind of have the rug pulled out under you. Um, so how do we build something that's going to set us up as we move forward? And what it is is um, applicants coming in for the Public Interest Journalism Fund are contractually required to put Google Tag Management on just the funded content so that we can actually start to see how that content is being engaged with by audiences. So it's, the, it's both the how are we getting it in front of audiences but actually how are they consuming it. And, you know, it's, it's a massive piece of work. So we've got 34 platforms being funded under the Public Interest Journalism Fund. We've got around 48 projects. We're able to actually see how many journalists that's touching. And, and in terms of quantum of content, it's absolutely vast. And what it's giving us is this high-level snapshot that is quite powerful, which is actually we're able to see page views. We're, we're acing above the minute mark in terms of what our target was around time spent on those pages. So we're actually meaningfully being able to see how audiences are engaging with content, and that is pan-sector. So as I mentioned, that's going to be a big part of that conversation about how do we work in collaboration with the public media entity? How do we not lose this opportunity to have one line of sight of government's investment in public media and, and how audiences are engaging? with it. I'm going to flick through the roadmap stuff. Are you okay? I'm just going to jump into your part. I think, okay, I'll do a really five sec quick five-second. 
this was just, I spent a lot of time, both Cam and I talking at DocEdge a couple of weeks back, but we've been, we're taking a look at some of our core policies, our funding policies, and we're really keen to get broader sector input because particularly with the factual roadmap, we feel like it's probably not delivering to what we think it needs to do in terms of better supporting the needs of the sector. And I, we went through a summit in 2019 and one of them was to ask for this roadmap and those four factual investment priorities you see along the bottom came out of that summit. Interestingly, quality journalism almost became moot in our, because a year later the Public Interest Journalism Fund landed. But I think what we've found is that this this roadmap hasn't necessarily helped us sort of see the prioritisation needs of the sector and we're hearing a lot from producers saying, where's the middle? You've got a lot of smaller scale digital projects over here, you've got blue chip over here and there's a lack of a the pathway in the middle that's actually sustaining and building development and actually helping create opportunity. Whereas the scripted roadmap we actually feel is doing a better job of this, which was born out of a 2018 summit. But the same wero was laid down that said 100K for web series is not enough. And over here you've got $6 million television dramas and nothing in between and we've got to do better than that. And so out of that summit was the middle tier was born, which has seen the incredible project, it's taken a while to bed, hasn't it? Like there's been development that needed to happen, but we're seeing creamery come through that um, portal. We're seeing Rurangi, SIS, raised by refugees, so we can really see how the strategy in action is working in terms of growing not just those career development pathways, but actually this rich diversity of content coming through. So we're keen to see if we look to align the factual roadmap more with where the scripted roadmap has gone as a result. Nice. Yeah. So two and a bit years ago, there were a lot of challenges that we all faced. I don't think that they've gone away, but, but I do think we've also achieved a lot. I still think that there are a couple of areas that we've talked about here today that we um, have struggled to build momentum on, but are really committed to trying to drive. And I'll touch on it again. I know it sounds boring, but part of the problem we have is the constraints of the Broadcasting Act. So if you look at the difference between the Broadcasting Act and the Film Commission Act, for instance, and we've actually had some advice on this, the Film Commission Act is actually really broad. It's, it's, it has an expectation on it to develop the sector, uh, which is why you sort of see all of those different strands that were up on, on, on stage yesterday. That they, they spend a lot of time and effort. They've got a fantastic team in development. Um, they do a lot of, a lot of work around um, building capability and capacity in the sector. Our act is really narrow. It's, it's literally content outcomes for Section 36 audiences is pretty much it. So what we've done in the past with our development funding is set it aside enough that we can get away with, given that our Act doesn't really expect us to do it. That's not a really great strategy, like it would be better if we just got the Act changed, um, which is what we're going to try and do. So obviously, again, coming back to the new PME, there is an opportunity, obviously, for our Act to change alongside the new PME Act. And the two areas that we are really keen to, to be able to embrace way more fully is development. <laughs> Yay! Um, and that's obviously to empower uh, and, and have an ability to tell diverse and authentic stories about the various people that make up New Zealand, growing those voices... Uh, and then also setting aside funds to allow those stories to be crafted. Um, the other one that Amy's just touched on is that whole promotion and discoverability piece. So, you know, more audiences moving to different platforms to engage in content is a real challenge. And the PME is going to be a significant um, help in that regard, but 
we still have to accept that there will be audiences going elsewhere. And certainly, uh, as Amy said, children's is front and centre for us because, you know, my 14-year-old is is not, he's just not watching linear TV at all. He's not really watching local content. He's watching YouTube. So how do we... You how do we ground him. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Poor bloody parenting, <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yes. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> you wait. You're one's, parenting you're one's only young. Um, so yeah, we have been constrained in the amount of putty that we can set aside for these things because we're sort of doing it under the radar a little bit. So we definitely want to kind of not do that under the radar. Um, the other constraint that we are all facing is that we are seeing increased applications and increased grade applications. We're seeing inflation uh, on production budgets and we have not seen a corresponding increase in funding. We we have to try and see if we can get more money. Um, we'd, we'd be delighted to have more money. Yes. <laughs> Um, just to kind of finish up, we, we kind of acknowledge there's a lot happening in the sector right now. I, I think there always is. Um, but there's a, there's probably a lot more uncertainty now than there has been in the past. We've got funding reviews. We've got, you know, changes within the PME, uh, RNZ, TVNZ. We've got um, incentive reviews, changes to workers' rights and entitlements. Uh, and we've got an election next year. But we do have a lot to celebrate as well. Um, we um, have a new minister uh, he's made it really clear that he wants to see more collaboration. So we talk a lot about sort of informal collaboration. I think we're going to be moving to more formal collaboration, to be honest. We see opportunity to definitely do more with Larry and his team and with the NZFC and with others. Uh, we see opportunities to invest more in developing content creators and embrace the fact that we can no longer take for granted that many of our important audiences will simply engage in the content that we fund. I want to leave you with this sentiment today. Five and certainly ten years ago, it was relatively easy to meet our statutory requirements to deliver content to the various audiences listed in our Act. For the most part, they were engaging in a small number of linear platforms. Today, that is less the case. The new public media entity and the work around it acknowledges this. For us, it means we need to continue to take an agnostic view, continue to uh, investigate and inform the sector on audience behaviour and demands, and guide you in delivering content to them content that is authentic, made by and for our various audiences and has had care and time in its development, delivered on the platforms they are on and ensuring the content is promoted as broadly as possible so they know about it. Done. Over time, look, it's got a big mm -hmm. yellow no. and, and red it's thing. very aggressive. <laughs> oh. oh, thanks. The Big Screen Symposium 2022 is brought to you by script to screen we are grateful to our event partners, the New Zealand Film Commission, New Zealand On Air, AUT, Images and Sound, and Te Mangai Paho. Voiceover is by me, Anna Corbett, and music by Poddington Bear.